Hi everyone, welcome back to Emphasis on the Ish. My name's Caitlin and today we are going to talk about a very interesting topic. This might be heavy for some people, it might be triggering for others, but we're going to talk about trauma. What trauma is, what it looks like in the classroom since I'm a teacher, and we're going to specifically look at a book that my school has given us as an opportunity to learn more about trauma and how we can create a trauma-sensitive environment within the classroom. And there's just parts of the book that I really... I don't know if you guys heard that, but like how rude. A motorcycle driving by as I'm recording. Do they not know? Anyway, so we were given this book as an opportunity to learn more about trauma-sensitive classrooms, and it's called Fostering Resilient Learners, and it's by Kristen Sowers and Pete Hall. And I am so far obsessed with it. I'm only on, I think, like chapter seven out of uh, 16 or so. So I have a couple left, but I've taken so many notes. I just have so much I want to say and kind of reflect on. So I thought this might be an interesting episode, not only for everybody, but, you know, specifically for teachers too. So to get started, I kind of wrote down, and I have notes here, so if you hear pages flipping at any point, I'm just kind of going through my notes. But I wrote what, who, where, when, and why. And I wanted to do this just as a way to kind of organize my thoughts about trauma and what I really wanted this podcast to be about. For what I wrote, the definition that the book gave me of trauma, which is an exceptional experience in which powerful and dangerous events overwhelm a person's capacity to cope. Um, And, you know, in the book, they talked about how this could be as serious as a plane crash, a car crash, or as ordinary as a divorce within a family. So trauma is definitely defined differently for everybody. You know, there's a universal definition of what it is and what it can cause, but everybody has their own trauma, whether you think you have some or not. And that's really interesting, too, which I think I'll talk more about towards the end is you know, kind of deep diving into yourself and trying to figure out and break down what your trauma might have been. And moving on to the next one, who? Anyone and everyone. Trauma does not care if you are in poverty. Trauma does not care if you are a billionaire. Like, you're going to have some kind of trauma in your life, whether you consider it trauma or not, and whether it truly affected you or not. Everybody has a little bit here and there. Okay, so I gave you the definition. The who is literally anybody, like I said, it does not discriminate. Trauma does not discriminate. And that's one message that was kind of repeated multiple times within the book is that trauma does not discriminate. It doesn't care who you are or where you live or how you live. And where, I also wrote anywhere and everywhere. I did write, however, that it is more common or more prevalent in poverty. And I think that's mostly because in more upper class communities there's trauma and we know there's trauma but it might not be as talked about because there are other things that are of higher priority and i have another book which is called understanding poverty and i wish i had it on me right now because they talk about this and how like in every different class you know in the upper class middle class poverty how there's different priorities and like trauma whether it's present or not is more of a not a priority necessarily but it's more prevalent in poverty and you're going to see it a lot more often than you would in the upper class because in the upper class they're going to hide that and they're going to make sure that they look good on the outside no matter what's happening inside 
for the when of trauma, I wrote that it happens a lot in younger ages when maybe you're not able to prevent it as much. But really, and obviously, it can happen at any age. And again, it's important to remember that trauma is not always as serious as, you know, abuse or a car crash, like I said before. It can be as ordinary or as common as a divorce because it just really depends on how it affects you and how you cope with the event that has happened. So it can happen at any age. It does happen at any age, but I feel like it's more prevalent. And from what I've read in the text, it's more prevalent when you're younger because you have less of an ability to prevent it or to um, speak up about it or, you know, get help for it. So it kind of just continues and continues. Whereas when we're older, we hopefully are a little wiser and we learn a little bit more and we're able to, you know, have those boundaries and kind of prevent certain things from happening. You can't prevent everything, but, you know, certain events from happening. The why for this one, instead of being like, well, why trauma? Like, why does trauma happen? Okay, well, there's so many answers to why trauma happens and what trauma is and why it's important. I more or less wrote, why did I want to talk about this? And why did I want to do a whole podcast about this? And I think it's because, first of all, when my principal gave me this book, I was like, oh, great, I have to read a book. But I love like self-help books. And even though this isn't really what this is, it's so informational and it's going to help me become a better teacher and a better person, honestly. And I just feel like it's a lot of information that I can apply to my classroom. And being a teacher is a huge part of my life. So a lot of my podcasts are going to be based around that. So specifically, the population I work with has a high prevalence of trauma. And I also think that since the pandemic, trauma and triggers and mental health is so like top priority for everybody and everybody's kind of talking about it now and it's more normalized than it was before. So I think that's just why I wanted to talk about it. I think it's important and I don't think it should go by the wayside, whether you have a little trauma, a lot of trauma, whatever you have, I think it's important to talk about and understand that, you know, however you're feeling about it is valid. So here we go. Hopefully this makes sense. Hopefully I'm not like tripping over my words and going in circles, but it's a lot to understand and I do, I'm not an expert. I do not know everything, but I just kind of wanted to talk about what I do know and what I've learned and what I think is really important to remember. So the first thing that I kind of wanted to talk about, now that I kind of broke down, you know, what trauma is, who it affects, whatever, I wrote down a couple quotes from the book that stood out to me, and then I'm just going to elaborate on them a little bit. And I did write the pages down. And again, this is called Fostering Resilient Learners, and it's by Kristen Sowers and Pete Hall. But if you want to get the book, um, I think it was, you know, sponsored for our school and a bunch of teachers got it but I'm pretty sure you can probably buy this on Amazon or something. It's a blue and brown book with a bird's nest on the front. It's such a good book, but I'm going to say the pages as I say the quotes. That way, you know, if you really are interested and you want to read more, you can kind of dive into that. So the first quote is on page 19 and it says, trauma exposure is toxic to the human body. And I chose this one because I just think of like, you know, let's say you break your arm or you get in a car crash or you do something where you're physically harmed right? And then maybe you have to get surgery or now you're in all this pain and you have scars when everything heals and it's physical and you can see that. But I think, you know, other kinds of trauma are so toxic to the human body, mental, emotional, some kind of stress, you know what I mean? Social trauma, 
I think all of those different traumas can have the same toxicity to your body, not just physical. And you might not have even been involved in the trauma. You might have been like to the side, like if it's a parent's divorce or something, technically, you know, that's not your divorce. That's not your issue. But if you're the child, you have to deal with all the repercussions. So that is trauma to you. And that's an ordinary trauma to have and a common thing in our society. And I just feel like it's toxic to your body in so many more ways than you would ever imagine. And the book really dives into this. And they talk about, you know, the left side of your brain and the right side of your brain, the limbic system. And, and I'm going to talk about that, like a little bit about that later. But it's just crazy. It's crazy how it affects your brain. And sometimes we forget because, you know, especially when we get older, we're like, okay, well, we healed from our trauma, even if we haven't. So it's hard for us to kind of understand how the students or how the people in our life are processing the trauma that they're going through they, that they might have just identified. Okay, the next thing that I wrote down is my notes on page 25. So I don't necessarily think this is a quote. I think it's just notes that I wanted to kind of talk about. One thing I really like about this book is that at the end of every chapter, they have reflective questions for you to answer. Now, I don't know if you're supposed to literally answer them in the book, but I did. I wrote all over this book and I don't usually do that. So I think that goes to show like this is a really good book. But one of the first questions was exploration of trauma sometimes launches a nature versus nurture debate. Why do you suppose some children are more strongly affected by certain events than others? And what does this suggest for us as professionals? And my response was depending on the environment where the students have grown up and just depending on who they are as a person, everyone will react to a traumatic event differently, but they will still be affected. So let's say, for example, plane crash. So tragic, so traumatic, so unfortunate. If you are to survive survive a plane crash, let's say there's two people that survive it, right? They're both going to be affected. Whether they realize it or not, and whether they show it or not, they're both affected. But one person might never get on a plane again because they're terrified. And the other might be like, I'm fine, I'm fine. But really, other parts of their life start to decline a little bit even if it's not related. So depending on how they grew up, depending on who they are just by themselves, you know, everybody's going to react differently. And some people hold it in and they might still be like crazy upset about it, but they're not going to show you that. And other people like myself will cry every day because that's just how we kind of cope with it. So everybody copes differently, but they'll still be affected. This is probably my favorite quote in the whole book. And I'm a little biased, obviously. I'm a little biased about this whole book because, I, you know, it's obviously guided towards teachers. So if you're not a teacher and you're listening to this, first of all, props to you because you might not even have to deal with this kind of stuff in your occupation or in your life. But a lot of this information is really helpful for teachers. And I will get to teaching with trauma and how to create a trauma-sensitive environment. And again, I'm not an expert, but it's just some notes that I've acquired from the text that I think are really important to share. So the next one is page 35 in the book, and it says, to say that teachers' jobs are challenging is a dramatic understatement. I highlighted that. I posted that quote. I was like, I absolutely love that because, and again, if you're not a teacher, you might not understand what I'm talking about, and that's okay because I don't expect you to because you're not in the same place, but 
unless you're a teacher, you might not understand how challenging our jobs are. And I know you probably hear teachers complain all the time. Like, why do you even do your job then if you complain all the time? And I don't even think it's that we're complaining. I think it's that we're venting and we just need to get it out because we do so much. We teach multiple subjects. We're like mini doctors in the classroom. We're therapists. We're mother figures to some of these kids, which is crazy to me. And like so many more things. So I think to say our jobs are challenging, well, yeah, they're challenging, but that's so underwhelming and understated. And I think, you know, it's more than challenging, especially with certain populations of students and certain communities that you may work in. One might be more challenging than the other in different ways. And I just thought that quote was wonderful. The last quote that I kind of highlighted is on page 66. And this is probably my favorite thing I've ever heard. It's actually, it's, I guess it's not really a quote. It's the title of chapter five. And it says, when in doubt, shut your mouth and take a breath. And I love that. And this chapter starts to talk about, you know, like when you have that really tough student and they're going off and they're disrupting your whole classroom and you just want to like rip them a new one and ream them out. But sometimes you got to shut your mouth. You got to take a deep breath and you got to go about it a different way. Because if you go about it the way you want to, nothing's going to get resolved. Okay, so that's almost like a perfect segue into talking about teaching with trauma. And again, I just have a couple notes from the text that I kind of want to evaluate and kind of reflect on and elaborate on a little bit. So the first one that I wrote is creating a trauma-sensitive environment. This can be tough, especially, especially if you come from a place in your life where, you know, you think, I don't have trauma. I didn't go through half of the stuff these kids did. How am I going to create an environment where they feel safe, where I can't even connect with them in that way? And it can be tough, but you just have to do your research and, you know, what do they need? And you can ask them. That's the thing. Obviously, you're not going to ask them in relation to their stories, but you can ask like, what do you need from me to feel safe at school? And that's a question for every student. It doesn't matter if they've, you know, quote unquote, had specific traumas. That's a question you're going to ask every single student to make sure they have the best educational environment. The next bullet point that I have says behavior is not necessarily controlled. And I think this is something that I have to remind myself of constantly because, you know, there will be that student that just kind of freaks out and flips his lid, which is a, a term they use a lot or a phrase I guess a phrase flips his lid that they use a lot in the book so you know when a student does that sometimes I just want to like lose my mind and be like what are you doing but they might not know they might not know how to control themselves otherwise or how to act otherwise and I also wrote that a lot of the time Behavior is a way to distract themselves from feeling the outcome of the stress that they're feeling or the outcome or the effect of the trauma that they've experienced. So although it's not acceptable and they need to know that, we still have to remember that, you know, they're going through so much other stuff where they cannot focus on what's correct because they just can't because of the toxicity that it's caused to their brain. It's just crazy to me. Like it's crazy how all of this kind of connects. The next note is home environment is very important and I think this all kind of ties together and I feel like that's a very obvious thing but everything starts at home and if that's where the trauma is stemming from then it's very very hard to have the students kind of 
grow out of that and grow through it when they see it constantly and when school becomes their only kind of safe haven and they're expected to learn when you know it's it's like maslow's hierarchy of needs if your basic needs are not taken care of there is no way you're moving up that ladder there's no way you're learning how to do multiplication there's just no way if you're sitting there starving or you're you know maybe your clothes are like dirty and you're embarrassed and if that's all you can think about or the trauma that just happened at home or the divorce that your parents are going through like there's no way you're going to learn and i think we've seen that time and time again and it's just like how do we stop that like obviously trauma is not going to stop anytime soon but how do we make it a little bit more tolerable i guess the word would be one big realization i had from reading this story is that we don't as teachers or as anybody actually we don't always need to know the story we don't always need to know the traumatic event and all of the details of it to support someone and to make them feel loved and cared for and worthy and safe around you you don't need to know every single little detail that's going on to support them one thing i think is very important for teachers to remember and again really anybody this could apply to anybody but is to reflect on how you deal with traumatic events in your life and then figure out a way where you can use those same strategies or figure out a way to teach others those strategies so i think about you know if i go through a traumatic event like losing a loved one do i you know get in this like deep rage and throw a table no because that's not how I deal with it. I, you know, I feel the emotions and I think it's important to reflect on that and know how you go through it. That way you can kind of show others the appropriate way or the okay ways to go through it that aren't inappropriate or aren't going to get them in trouble or aren't going to make it worse. One way to kind of do this, it's specifically stated in the book, is to remain in control of your own emotions. So even, again, going back to that student that's like flipping their lid, losing their mind in your classroom, you doing the same thing back to them is not going to solve the problem. So it's hard, but to remain in control of your own emotions and kind of reflect on yourself and regulate yourself, that way you can model appropriate reactions and responses to stress that is happening so that, you know, hopefully the students kind of take that in and they observe it and they think, okay, that's the way that I should try and react or respond this is not okay we cannot be acting like this and one key strategy that i wrote down is mindfulness you know being present taking deep breaths focusing on your senses all of those different things meditating if you have to just different ways to kind of bring yourself back to your center and not be going in 50 different directions one key thing that i wrote down and i feel like i might keep saying that but i just keep reading and i'm like damn that's important is I wrote, if we as teachers are not taking care of physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually, then we are not equipped to do the same for our students. And I think that was directly taken from the book. I wish I knew what page that was, but I don't. Um, But again, if you find this book and you read it, I'm sure you'll see it. But I think that's so true. If you're not taking care of yourself, it's always like the oxygen mask thing, like on the plane, right? They're like, if you don't put yours on, how are you going to put your child's on? So it's not as dramatic as that. Well, I guess it could be. 
But if I'm not taking care of myself and if I'm not supported the way I need to be, there's no way that I'm going to be able to do the same for my students. If I'm not stable, how are they going to be? Another thing that was really interesting to me was talking about the different parts of the brain and how they respond to trauma. And, you know, starting with the different terms that the, these authors used, which I really like, and I'm going to try my best to kind of talk about with my students, but, you know, so many other things come up. But starting with like the prefrontal cortex, how that's the part that, you know, the part of your brain that is ready to learn and ready to accept knowledge and can focus and can be stable, they call that the upstairs brain or like your learning brain. So when you're upstairs in your brain, you're ready to go, you're ready to learn, you're focused. When you're downstairs in your brain, that's like the limbic system. That's your survival brain, your fight, flight, or freeze. So students who, you know, experience chronic stress and trauma are constantly downstairs in their brain. They are ready to fight, flight, or freeze. They're ready to survive and just kind of get through the stress. They are not upstairs. They are not ready to learn. So a lot of the strategies that were given in this book were talking about how to move from that downstairs brain to the upstairs brain and you know I think it's definitely an interesting concept and I'm not really sure how I would necessarily incorporate it but I think it's interesting and I think it's really simple terminology for maybe younger students instead of saying like okay you're in your prefrontal cortex right now no you're in your upstairs brain you're ready to learn you're ready to go so I guess we'll see how that plays out Okay, I found another quote that I wrote, and I didn't write the page numbers. I don't know why I did that. But it says, we do not have control over what happens to us, but we do have control over how we respond and grow. And again, I feel like this kind of contradicts a little bit going back to, you know, a previous part of the book where they said that the behaviors that some students have are uncontrollable. And I guess it applies to the situation. You know, it's all situational. But like some behaviors, you just, sometimes they can't control them. But Sometimes you can and you do have control over how you respond and how you kind of grow through it and get through it and what strategies you use to do that. Not everybody's going to use the same strategy and not everybody's going to grow the same way. But even though you can't control what's happening to you, you can control how you move on from it and how you heal and respond. I have two final points that I want to make and... I hope that so far this podcast has made sense. I hope that it's flowed. I hope that it gave some information about trauma. Again, I don't want to act like I'm an expert and I know everything, but I'm like literally I'm in the middle of the book. So I'm learning as I read. And I just thought it was a lot of very interesting information that I wanted to share. So my two final points, the first one, when somebody asks you if you're okay, be honest, because you know that nine times out of 10, someone's like, are you okay? And you're like, oh yeah, I'm good, I'm good. Even if you just cried your eyes out in the car. Like, be honest, open up, talk about it. It's okay. I guarantee you, if they are asking, they want you to open up. They they care about you. They want to know how you're really doing. So don't feel like, and this kind of, you know, might stem away a little bit from like teaching with trauma and blah, 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 and behavior strategies and whatever. But personally, because again, trauma doesn't care who you are. It affects everybody. If you're going through something and you have trauma and you have stress, if somebody asks you if you're okay, or if somebody asks you how you are, be honest. Because nine times out of 10, how are you today? Oh, I'm good. But like, are you? Are you really? And a podcast, pretty basic, that I just listened to, kind of talked about that. Like, if you ask your friends, like, how are you doing? And they're like, oh, I'm good. Ask again. Ask them again. Are you? Are you good? 
why are you good? And like, see if they open up a little bit more because I guarantee that they're just kind of saying that because it's a, it's almost like a habit. You're just like habitually ready to be like, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I'm having a great day. Even if you're not. Okay, my final statement that I just want to say, and this was in the book too, again, don't remember the page number because apparently I stopped writing those down, but that it is not about you. And this goes for trauma, this goes for reactions, this goes for judgment that people place upon you. That has no reflection on you whatsoever. And all three of those things come from what those people are personally dealing with or personally going through. And it does not have a reflection on, you know, their relationship with you, their respect or their feelings for you. It doesn't have a reflection on you as a person or your ability to support other people. It does. It's not about you. It's not at all. And it's very hard, especially, you know, again, as a teacher, when you're seeing these things firsthand, it's very hard to not take it personally. But you have to remember to do that because it's not about you. They're not mad at you. It's just one more thing that they can't handle. So just to leave off on that note, it's not about you. It was never about you. doesn't reflect on you as a person. And just continue to try your best. Okay, so that's it. That is it. And I feel like there's so, obviously, there's so much more I could say. I have like 10 more chapters to read. And maybe I'll do a part two. Maybe I'll do a part two. We'll see. But I hope this made sense. I hope there was some information that you learned and maybe that you can kind of implement into your classroom. And I hope something inspired you and maybe you're going to go get this book now and you're going to read it, even if you're a teacher or not, just to kind of understand a little bit more about you know, being trauma sensitive and kind of creating a environment where anybody going through that kind of stress can feel safe. So I hope you enjoyed. If you did, if you're a teacher, please share with a teacher friend. If you are not a teacher, please share anyway, because you never know who's going to see it and who it's going to make a difference for. So thank you so much for listening. I will see you next week. Have a wonderful rest of your week.